listening to Vet Candy. Hi, this is Dr. Jessica Turner, and you are listening to Living Well with Dr. Jessica. This is your one stop for all things wellness related, not just nutrition, not how to move your body, but everything in between. We'll be right back with more vet candy. Introducing NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. Every one and done monthly dose protects canine patients against heartworm disease, fleas, ticks, roundworms, and hookworms, all in a delicious beef-flavored soft chew. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. To learn more, visit NextGuardPlusClinic.com. And if you've been listening for any point of time, you know that that usually includes a pretty hefty dose of mental health in there. And so I feel like the last couple of episodes, we've kind of been digging into the same topic, but from different perspectives. And so if you listened to to last week's, uh, we had Katie on and we were talking about burnout, but from a technician's point of view, which in my opinion was very interesting because as a veterinarian, I'm, I'm pretty guilty of kind of just focusing on the veterinarians. And so we're gonna continue that conversation today in some regards, but from another slightly different angle. And so I'm so excited to have our guest on today. We have Gerard Gervasi. He is has been in the veterinary industry for over 25 years. The way that he's gonna bring in a different perspective for us is he has been a non-veterinary clinic owner and hospital administrator. And so he's gonna give us a different point of view on things. It was in that role where he earned the Certified Manager Designation and Practice Manager of the Year Award in 2007. He has also been the past president of the Veterinary Hospital Manager Association and has volunteered to serve in various positions in the last 24 years. His current position is the Director of Strategic Partnerships, and he participates in several industry focus groups, steering committees, and has been published in multiple veterinary industry medias. He emerges himself in all things veterinary with the goal to make positive changes to our work environment with special interests in clinic work life crisis. I got to kind of hang out with Gerard a little bit before this call, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear his story and have an outsider's perspective, which really opened my eyes to the need for it. And so without further ado, I want to welcome our guest, Gerard. Welcome aboard. Hey, thanks, Dr. Jessica. It's a pleasure to be on and thanks for the introduction. I look forward to having this a little bit of time to discuss a little bit about well-being in the industry. Like you kind of touched on a little bit, I've been doing it for over 25 years now. In different aspects of it. And so it's more come to light in the last few years about the wellness than anything. It was really by accident, really, that I've learned what I've learned, to be honest with you. And we can talk about that a little more about my work with AVMA and, and VHMA even and how that's kind of uh, expanded my thought process on well-being. Yeah, absolutely. We're definitely going to dig into your work with the AVMA. So I always just like to kick things off with, you know, what's your story? How did you even get involved with the world of veterinary medicine as someone who is not a veterinarian? Uh, I know that was kind of like my first question whenever we first connected. So I'd love for you to share a little bit more about your journey to the work that you have been so involved with. 
it's been a strange way to get into it, but it was never my my desire, like everybody else, when you're growing up, you want to be a veterinarian or a fireman or a policeman. And uh, I always wanted to be a veterinarian, but life took me in different ways and ended up going into management. And then uh, after post-school, I went into management and consulting with training uh, with some larger companies and um, had large animals. I've got uh, you know farms and stuff like that that I've dealt with over the years. And in this case, my, one of my animals, my horses, had gotten ill and had to take them to my local veterinarian and be hospitalized for a few days. And so through those conversations and meeting with them over the time of my horse's illness, uh, realized they needed a vet manager. And then it was very intriguing and kind of jazzed me back up about the veterinary world again and how I wanted to be back in, in the management of the veterinary side of it. Never knew that you needed a manager, you know, the veterinary clinic just, you know, you just don't know the inner workings. So end up uh, applying and getting that job. And, and uh, you know, like I said, 25 and plus years later, was been in that industry. And um, you learn a lot as you go. There's a lot of things, you know, you won't learn in textbooks and what professors won't tell you. And likewise, in the veterinary side, when they're in school, share some things, my thoughts about that, how we need to get people prepared for the future. So, but yeah, that's kind of how, you know, a long way is getting there, but I've got into there and I've stayed ever since. So loved it. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Vet Candy makes learning fun with the most exciting experts on the planet. Become a Vet Candy member for exclusive access to our library of more than 100 studio qualities and race approved videos taped in 4K. Say hello to streaming and goodbye to boring webinars with us. Plus, members can connect with specialists and licensed mental health care experts on our forums and get answers to your burning questions with our knowledge database. You can even create a custom learning plan, keep track of your progress, and track your CE credits all in one spot. Your personalized learning journey starts with us. What are you waiting for? Sign up today at myvetcandy.com. I love how doors open when when you least expect them. I, I think it's awesome that you took the initiative to further explore that and recognize that it kind of tied in where your strengths were and where your love was, you know, for the veterinary field. I know I've worked in, in practices that have a manager and, and some where the main technicians kind of lumped in as the manager too. And it definitely makes a big difference when you have someone that is educated in that kind of thinking and not separate yourself from the medicine, but in a way you can, in a, in a way that I feel like we can't. I think, you know, your role just as a manager in, in general is so important within our profession, but I want you to share a little bit more in how that led to you being a part of these committees that honestly, I don't know, I'm one of those vets that I still think that it's just a bunch of vets on the, on the committees, while some of them, you know, maybe in the trenches with us, some of them aren't. And so when we got to talking and you were sharing your role on these committees and all the different people that weren't necessarily in the veterinary field as veterinarians, it was just really intriguing to me. And so I would love for you to kind of touch a little bit more on how the position that you walked into as a manager led to you having an opportunity to be a voice for veterinarians and veterinary teams. Yeah, just being new to the veterinary industry back in the day, I, you know, I needed more education. I wanted to be more immersed in the, what's going on in the, in the practice life and in industry because I wasn't fully aware of it. So I ended up joining the, the Veterinary Hospital Management Association 
mostly for networking. It's people business still. And so you want to understand what <laughs> trials and tribulations, what other people have done. And it's always interesting to hear what they've had to go through. So you don't have to go through the same mud that they went through necessarily, or at least stay on the higher side of the hill. You know, you listen to people and you understand, well, geez, they've got the same problems I do. You know, whether it's, uh, you know, where you may buy the mops or what disinfectant you got to use or what was better. And, you know, is bleach still good? And find out all those things that are good in their practice and what are bad in their practice. And so there's a little camaraderie there a little bit. And you share that and you feel comfortable when you go back to your practice that says, hey, I'm, in, you know, other people have my same problems. You deal with it better through so that association and learning and, and meeting new people. I've got on the board of the VHMA and then there was responsibilities that come with that. And eventually um, in my current role, the director of strategic partnership, I was able to reach out to larger companies and I won't mention any companies, but any, the larger pharmaceutical companies and, and distributors and those kind of things and people who deal with larger groups of folks. And then you collaborate with um, programs. And so a lot of focus groups happens. And one of them um, turns out to be the AVMA that I end up speaking with and was invited to be on one of their, um, what they call the well-being steering committee. And typically, you know, AVMA and most of these companies, there's nothing wrong with saying it. They just typically do or did at the time, dwell mostly with veterinarians, and that was what they were comfortable with, and that's who should be on our committee, and that's what they dealt with. But as time moved on, they invited uh, non-vets, and they were industry people, but it, it may be associated or allied associations that joined them in steering committees and focus groups and that kind of thing. And they thought forward on that, which is good, because somebody told them, you need to invite other people in here. Just similar to like I went to the VHMA, and I so seeked out other people in different roles, they did the same. And that was very smart, I think, on their part because it brought a different perspective, just like we're talking about now that other people didn't know. And not only did maybe, if I was on the pro committee, I saw it from a local level, what was happening. They saw it from a national level and maybe the information got watered down a little bit, or maybe they didn't understand how impactful it was. And, and what we learned in that committee was even opening to myself too, as well. So even though I was working in the local level, we, we determined a lot of things. So yeah, it was very interesting to, to immerse myself in, in that whole thing and be invited. It was such an honor to be able to be part of that process early on, keep it. And this was pre-COVID. So a lot of things have changed since then. I know I had the opportunity to kind of dig into some of these things that were brought to your attention. I think, you know, that would be what I would love to kind of dive into moving forward. You talked about almost having like confirmation that these things that were going on weren't just like a isolated concern. Do you mind kind of sharing a little bit more about some of those struggles within our field that were brought to your attention when you were serving on this committee? And just open that conversation as to what can possibly be done to help us move in the right direction. The committee basically was initially charged to understand why veterinarians had the highest rate of suicide among all licensed professions. I mean, it's just think about that for a minute. You know, the number of veterinarians versus medical doctors and specialists in the human side to have that percentage larger than all the others is crazy. There was a study that we you know, had to look into that because it became more prominent. And, and for a long time, I think it was being hid. It's not looking good. It's not positive. So we're not going to talk about it. It's not really a statistic you went tied to your profession. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good thing to recruit people with, you know, so it's there. I mean, it's in all professions and it's probably worse than other professions. They're just dealing with it differently. But 
I think they did put resources to it on the human side much faster than we did on the veterinary side. You know, for the most part, there was not a lot of resource there either. So if somebody had an issue, they didn't know where to go. And if they identified it themselves, there was nowhere to go. And, you know, even going back years prior to this, we always thought of it differently. We had Bork burnout. You know, we just called it something else. We go home in the, the week and say, how was your week? I'm just born out. I guess that's why I'm feeling this way. So there was no introspective look at why I'm doing this way. And there, there was nobody opening up about why I'm this way or why they're that way. And so we didn't share. And so things just got worse. So not only do we study that portion of it, but additional areas of concern surfaced during that process. We realized that not only the veterinarian was a concern, but it was also the veterinary team that was having issues. If you think about it in their practice, it's not a wall. It's not isolated. I mean, when people come in and they, it's compassion fatigue, it's with economic issues or whatever it may be. When a client comes in the door, they see everybody. They see the girls at the front desk. They see the technician. They see the doctor. And when you're having to euthanize something or have a difficult discussion with the client, that technician is there as well. They're listening. They're right there within feet of them. And it affects them as well. And so it was kind of a quote unquote ignored or not recorded, I guess, if you will. We were so worried about the AVMA side of it was, you know, not, and again, that's not a negative. It was their focus was on the veterinarian because that's their group. That's their audience. Right. But to look at the whole picture, you know, the whole team needs to be healthy and happy. The non-licensed person technician can come in and they have a, have an issue where they can't cope or whatever. They're going to be able to leave. They can go to another job. They can go to a profession. It's hard to do that from a veterinarian standpoint because they're licensed. Where, where are they going to go next? What's that next, you know, what train do they get on if this doesn't work? You know, so we quickly realized that a normal workday, their entire team was experiencing challenges of the workplace. And like I said, years ago, we just called it a rough week. And then the compassion fatigue was the next thing that kind of surfaced. The, the word, I guess, if you will, of the day. That became an old label, but it's still real. And then we can talk about work-life balance and, you know, years ago, and now we're talking about work-life issues. Now we're even talking about work-life crisis even. So it's kind of evolved. It's almost like, and I know you and I kind of touched on, you know, when you're in school, you're just focused on surviving the next test, you know, and you stay in that, that state of mind for so long that when you get into the real world and you start practicing or wherever you end up, but... I know a lot of us end up in general practice. That's where I ended up. It's a rude awakening to be able to make that transition and feel like you have the confidence you need to do the things that you're being asked and face, you know, clients possibly not wanting to see you because you're the new vet. And just there's so many things that kind of feed into your perception of yourself. And so I think a lot of that leads to us being so focused on ourselves because we're just trying to get through the day. Um, And then that turns into trying to get through the year and trying to get through the next couple of years. I don't want to say I didn't think much of my team because my team, I mean, we all know that we wouldn't be able to do what we do without our teams. But until you and I talked about this, I will admit that I never really stopped and thought, hey, I wonder how she's dealing with this. You know, I'm struggling with the fact that this is my fifth euthanasia today, but I never once thought to ask, you know, those that were in the room with me, you know, how are you holding up? And I think there's a lot of 
excuses that I can make for that. But I will admit that I was the person that most people are always worried about <laughs> more because I feel like I just took on, you know, like so many of us do. We did get that compassion fatigue because we're so emotionally attached to everything that we see and everyone that we talk to. And it's really hard some days to not take on, you know, what everybody else is carrying. And I think it's to the point where you're really just trying to get through the day and you kind of become blind to what others around you may be facing um, just like you are. So I think this is a very important conversation to continue having. It was great to have, you know, a guest on last week that really brought light on it as well. We're actually going to take a break real quick and we'll come back on and, and just keep, you know, this conversation going on some of the things that we feel are contributing, you know, to this work-life crisis, like you just mentioned. And again, what are some things that we can maybe do to move forward in the right direction? So we will be right back. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Introducing NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. Every one and done monthly dose protects canine patients against heartworm disease, fleas, ticks, roundworms, and hookworms, all in a delicious beef-flavored soft chew. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. To learn more, visit NextGuardPlusClinic.com. Welcome back. We are here with Gerard and we are discussing a slightly different perspective on a lot of the buzzwords these days, burnout, compassion fatigue, you know, work-life balance and and crisis. And so we're going to continue that conversation. We're just going to dig a little deeper into something we were just talking about um, when I was sharing that there was just a really big gap from making that transition from the life of veterinary student to veterinarian. I'm in the process of trying to figure out reunion for my tenure, which was actually last year, but I've been out for 11 years. And while I know that there's some things that are likely different from when I was in school, I do still firmly believe that there's just a disconnect between students getting out and having a realistic expectation of what things are going to be like and trying to navigate that you know, it it ends up being a bigger shock than some of us expect. And so I would love to just get your input on what you learned from this specific, you know, issue within our our profession. And what are some things that we could potentially do at more of a starting point, um, more preventative versus trying to fix something when we're almost to the point where we can't fix it? Yeah, you know, it's, it's the first first steps of anything is to realize there is a problem you know, identify the problems. And then secondly is, you know, how do we fix it? And many times we want to just throw things at it and throw programs and whatnot at it. But I think, you know, like anything, whether it's children or whatever, you've got to have a baseline. You got to start them off somewhere. They just don't take off and start running. They have to learn how to crawl and then they got to learn how to walk and toddle around. So same thing you've got to do with veterinarians and where you do, I think, and you start them where their safety zone is and their safe zone typically is school. That's where they're, they're a sponge. They're able to take the most information. They're going to listen. They're going to be impressive or can impress on them certain things. And I think one of the roles in the universities are probably going to get mad at this, but I think they need to spend a certain amount of time on awareness training, if you will, you know, where they can start early on in their veterinary education and they can 
where they, like I said, they have a place to feel safe. They have uh, an openness to learn new ideas. And if it's not in a class, you know, they address it maybe in the VBMA meetings on a regular basis, not a one-time thing and off. I think you have to make it, if you make them aware of it early on and resources that are available to them, then it's not such a stigma going out into the real world because COVID's made it a whole nother ball game for us. You're taught to drive a car. What have you got before you give them the keys? You're, you've got driver's ed training. Okay, you, you go to veterinary school, you learn to be a vet. But what else do you need to do? You come out of school, most people have a house note they got to start paying. You know, I mean, I'm not a house note, but their educational loans are going to come due in six months and they start to start paying. They don't have a job yet. They don't even know how good they're going to be. They don't even know where they're going to be in most cases. All that angst that kind of builds up and then you're going to want to be successful because you know, we won't really go there probably today, but when they get these jobs, consolidation of, of businesses is a big thing. They've got to know when they go to apply, they need to know why they're going to be hired. They've got to know what questions to ask. They got to be comfortable with that interview process. All that's just normal buildup. And then you got all of this stuff going on. And with COVID, unfortunately, you know, we're, everybody's so busy and there's a lot of struggles going on with, with that and a lot of fear that's that's in that because everybody's so busy, they don't have time for them to, to work with them when they're in the practice. You know, you don't have that transitional time. To some degree, you're a victim of your own success, you know, when you get there because we're so busy in the practice life, we're turning people away. You know, we can't get them all in on time. And so that's a problem. And then, you know, people calling you and emailing them. And so they have, don't have the resources or the background to even deal with this kind of stuff. And so now we want them to provide ultimate care, client services. They've got to be, you know, nursemaid and help all these pets out. And they're just not ready for it. You know, not everybody, but for the most part, it's unfair to put them out there to the jungle uh, without a playbook. And I think that it's to some degree, it's really the vet, it's the institutions need to start helping them with this a little bit. They help other, other industries. You know, if you're in management, they have to go through psychological classes and sociology. They learn people, they learn how to deal with conflict. Veterinarians don't, you know, they say they don't have time for this, right? <laughs> you know, and a lot of times you hear, well, I took a two-week course in it, you know, like, oh, wow. <laughs> and there's a lot of them leaving the profession. There's a lot of veterinarians, good veterinarians, good students that come out. They don't know what else to do. And so they abandon the ship because, you know, mental and physical help is so important. And um, they don't want to juggle all that. And it's unfortunate because we lose a lot of people in that. We lose a lot of team members as it is, but you just can't create and add water and make a veterinarian overnight. I think we have to invest in them, uh, invest in the team. And part of that investment starts early on. You know, Maybe it's a precursor to that school. I don't know. There is time. There is time to be able to do that. When you were talking about, you know, you need psychology and sociology, it was like, oh, yeah, that was like my first year in undergrad. You had like, what, one class of those things? And I mean, by the time you're going through the veterinary program and get out, you don't remember any of that. One, you don't have room in your brain for anything, you know, other than pharmacology and all that good stuff that we need. But there's no arguing that that is a focus that needs to be taken seriously. I mean, I get how they already cram so much in. And so figuring out how to add anything else just seems impossible. But so much of what we're asked to do on a daily basis deals with skills that you're just not taught. You know, you get out of school and not only are you faced with your student loan debt and the reality of that and trying to figure out how to to make payments. My husband and I both graduated from professional school, so we both had student loan debt that was not fun. 
moved back home, bought a house, got married, and started jobs in a six-week span. And I'm like, uh, that was like a disaster waiting to happen. Like, that's how I went into my start as a veterinarian. And those first two years were, I mean, they were so hard. I was ready to leave the field after two years. And, you know, there's so many other factors at play, and I'm glad I didn't then. But again, when you're talking about so many of us leaving, because we almost feel like we have to choose between our physical and mental well-being or the profession. Hello, that's me. (laughs) You know, that's how I ended up here. But I do believe I'm doing the work that I'm supposed to be doing. I'm very happy with, you know, where I ended up and and still being very uh, much involved with the veterinary profession because, you know, it's where my heart is. And I know that there's a lot of people out there, whether it's veterinarians or, you know, other members of the the veterinary team, where they they truly do want to stay within, you know, our field. That's what they've always wanted to do. And they still love the work that they're doing. It's just we got to get back to being able to figure how to do that without sacrificing everything else. And, you know, you touched on, I think so many veterinarians are kind of stuck because they don't have a plan B. You know, what else am I going to go do with my license? And I know something that we briefly talked about before this call is there's a lot of veterinarians that are dealing with very specific struggles that they feel like they can't talk about because of the side effects or the the consequences of speaking up, whether it's the need to maybe take a, a break for your mental well-being or if you're struggling with substance abuse and you know you need to be enrolled in some kind of program to where you can get the help you need, but you're afraid to even say anything at risk of losing your license. You know, we're seeing more and more of these things that all are very intimately involved with, you know, the rise in suicide rates and things like that. What can we do to cause a shift in that, you know, this pressure to remain silent at the risk of, you know, the consequences that we may face? What's your, I don't know, your input on that? It's all about education, right? First, we got to understand the signs. So if somebody's having it and be open and to take action and help them any way we can. If everybody listens to everyone and gives everybody an individual opportunity to share their thoughts and feelings, and understand this is just a one-person concern. You know, sometimes it affects the whole practice. Um, but the different dynamics with the veterinary side, the licensed or licensed staff, you know, even licensed veterinary technicians, even anybody with a license, they tend to, you know, you don't want to be quote unquote truthful about anything that's going on because you have that fear of what's going to happen. And one of those things we noticed that in, in every state in the United States has a different way of handling if somebody you know, requests a suspension because of they need to take a break for a mental health issue or they're being um, treated for a certain thing, then alcoholism or, or drugs or whatever it goes into, they're not as uh, compassionate with it. Some of them are downright just evil and they're just like, you know, immediately, you know, you can't do it until you get certified. Well, now it's on your record. That's public record now that is out there in most places. Now, some of them do it differently and they handle it nicely and they go, well, you can continue working just give us updates to your doctor and, you know, they don't put it on the website. And so it's, it's kind of protected, such, which is great. If you're one of those states, it's a good thing. If not, you know, you, if you don't know where to find out, you got to go find out. But that shouldn't be a hindrance to you finding care, you know, because it's just going to be like a cancer. It's going to get worse. And then that just perpetuates itself. If, if I'm not going to share with anybody at the practice that I think I might have an issue because they may turn me in. And if they turn me in, it's out of my control. 
you got to learn to, to, or we got to get the message out that you take control of that. And it's not a bad thing, especially now. And I think it's getting better. Good thing, bad thing about COVID. We're starting to understand more about ourselves and about our teams and about each other. And it seems like mostly as a society, we're more resilient and we're able to say, yeah, let's help you out. You know, there's a lot of crises that goes on. And so people seem to be more compassionate with it. I mean, and COVID brings it up even worse. It magnifies it because, you know, as you know, the demand for veterinarians and veterinary technicians has skyrocketed. I was looking up the other day, the Bureau of Labor Statistics reported that between 2016 and 2026, veterinary occupations are expected to add over 51,000 new jobs and it's going to grow at a rate of 19%. That's like three times faster than the growth projected for all occupations. So that's another thing to add to it, right? Now the pressure's on. You know, there's practices that need two or three vets right now. And so they're up in the ante. And that's not a good thing, you know, because once you start adding more money to the pot, there becomes responsibilities and things that happen that we did they didn't even have a year ago. So practices are nationwide are just being impacted and struggling to, you know, recruit and retain anybody, employees, veterinarians, licensed techs, to meet their needs. So Again, there's not a lot of time there to support it. And so we've got to be more compassionate with each other and take time and see these things, especially a new a new grad or a new employee. I mean, there's always a little bit of nervousness when you start a position. But, you know, it'd be like, I don't know, it'll make an analogy to just riding a bike and go, oh, are you going to drive a semi? I mean, yeah, I could probably do it, but, you know, uh, you're not going to train me? Nope. You know, here's the keys and go, you know. So just on its own, it's, it's a problem. And so you need to be able to reach out to somebody. Uh, one of those good things that I think we had talked about is the EAP program, which is Employee Assistance Program. And this has really come on the, the steam in the last few years. It was kind of there, but it wasn't really, quote, unquote, needed. We looked at it as kind of like, that's crazy. I'm not getting that program because, you know, it's going to be expensive and who's got mental health issues, you know. And not to say it's a negative. Mental health is not a negative. It's just something that we we put a name to. It's just, and it's not really a struggle necessarily. It could just be issues at home. It's not a workplace issue. It's an issue. It's a home issue. And part of work, part of being management, we wear different hats. We've got to help recognize that and reach out. If they're not reaching out to us, we reach out to them in a nice way and say, how's things going? You talk to them, you kind of get a feel that things aren't going well. This EAP program, you know, it's very inexpensive. It's amazing how cheap it is. Um, It's available to all clinics, all businesses. As a matter of fact, you probably have it on your health plan now. It's very confidential. You can call a number. It's kind of like a nurse hotline almost, if you will. Some of them are even online, but um, they can reach out and it's confidential. They don't report back to the employer. Uh, They don't report to any agencies. So you don't have to fear of your license or it's open to any employee, but we're kind of drilling in on veterinarians, license techs. It's open to everybody. Uh, Managers are included. We all have issues. But if you need it, the EP staff will talk to them. They'll walk them through it. And if they need a local referral for a one-on-one counseling session, they'll do it. And that's where they'll probably decide, you know, what the issue, if they can walk them through it. If they can't, they may refer them to something else, and then they might have to report it based on what it is. But they found out if it's not something that's a legal issue, somebody's not, you know, breaking the law, we kind of leave it in-house, so to speak, and, and they can get counseling. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's great that that's even coming about now. And it's widely available. I mean, like I said, it's part of everybody's program for the most part. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy.
Hello, this is Caitlin Palmer. You probably know me as the desk wench. You know, the sweet TikTok receptionist who has to deal with the evil Karen Stevens. Well, if you like that, you are going to love my new podcast, Desk Wench Confessions. On my show, I have funny guests who tell me about their own Karens. Plus, we have contests, giveaways, and skits. Trust me, you are going to love it. Check it out on a podcast platform of your choice on Vet Candy Radio. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that because I know that we're going to have people listening in that are in that role where, you know, they're either a, a practice owner or, you know, just someone that can look into these things if they're hearing it for the first time. Because I'm not going to lie, being out of, you know, the workforce aspect of things, when you and I were talking and you were throwing that abbreviation out, I was like, what in the world is EAP? There's so much going on and there's so much driving for our attention that we're very unaware of a lot of things that are out there that can be very significant resources. And I think this is one of them. And so I hope anybody that's listening that it's the first time you hear it, you go look into it more. Yeah, they have it. They just don't realize it. And like I said, it's so inexpensive. It's cents per people. I mean, it's just, it's not even like a dollar, I don't think, a month for somebody, but I mean, even on the AVMA website, if people are familiar, at least the veterinarians are, go to that. There's uh, there's several tools on their website that kind of relate to mental health. And there's actually a self-assessment test that's on there that's really easy and really quick. I think they've done a great job of dedicating that section to well-being. Like I said, it's open to anybody. You can go on there and do a, an assessment and see if you, you know, where you rate. There's your assignment when you <laughs> when you finish listening to this. I didn't realize that they had that. So that's that's awesome. Yeah, it's huge for them. And it's good. It's about time, really. Yeah, it, it really is. When you mentioned earlier, we're kind of always a little behind on things that, you know, other medical professionals are dealing with. They just kind of rolled out some resources a little sooner. My dad is in the human side of medicine and actually lost someone in school to suicide. And it's always been a thing. And, you know, him and I have had discussions about, they have these questions you got to answer when you're renewing your license about if you've ever, you know, had this or been, you know, admitted for this or all these questions that can be easily tied to mental well-being that you don't dare say anything that is going to make them put a label on you or, you know, flag your license. So you just, lie about it. I mean, you just don't include it. <laughs> it's like you understand why some of those things are in place, but how are we ever going to be able to take care of our, our own if we continue to have an environment that makes it so hard to talk? It's nice to see some shifts happening and hopefully the states that, you know, are a little more understanding, some of the other ones follow suit. But I would love to kind of wrap things up with you just sharing a little bit on your your current project, if you would say so, with the VHMA Workforce Crisis Initiative. Um, what's going on with that? Yeah, a good thing, like I said, about all the awareness that's coming up is that people are putting resources, you know, to this. And, and it's been there all along. We just really kind of got a snail's pace about doing it sometimes. But the VHMA is um, launching a new initiative this year, which will focus on the workforce needs of the veterinary practice. And that work will be focused primarily on helping practice retain a skilled workforce. And then by doing so, we'll help corral kind of the work-life crisis too. So you want to quell that as best as possible because it's all about education. It's about understanding each other. 
understand the impact. If you don't set people off straight to begin with and give them a good baseline of training and education, you can't set it, set them up for success. You're setting them up for failure if you don't do it. And, and that could be different ways of looking at it, whether it's a mental, physical, or uh, monetary issues, you know? And so if we're not getting along with each other in the practice because tempers get short because we don't understand our job function or how to do this and what to expect, you know, what euthanasia looks like, what a fecal loop, you know, that express anal glands. I mean, all those little things that, you know, we know this might be a problem. Um, if we don't know what that looks like and feels like, then we're not preparing our staff and you're going to open the door up to other things in which will be strife and problems and lack of communication will be shut down. And that's what we don't want. We want it to be open, honest, and we need to talk about the struggles. And I think we talked about it before. One of the best things I think you can do is share your struggles and your problem because we're human. And all of a sudden, if whatever role you're playing, if you're a manager, it's even more important to, to share your insight of, and so where'd you get this insight? Well, I lived it. You know, and they go, what? You did that? And see, absolutely. And so, like it or not, we're human and we do like to hear failures. <laughs> we want to make sure that Dr. Jessica didn't do well on every test. You know, <laughs> we want to hear that because that puts you in, into my realm, which makes it more human-like and makes me more bond with you a little more. Because now, all of a sudden, we feel like, uh, yeah, you're a professional, you're a licensed professional, but bottom line of the day, we put our pants on the same way and we drive together. And so if we do all that together, then we'll, we'll succeed together if we can help our struggles early on. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Introducing NextGuard Plus, a Foxalaner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. Every one-and-done monthly dose protects canine patients against heartworm disease, fleas, ticks, roundworms, and hookworms, all in a delicious beef-flavored soft chew. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. To learn more, visit NextGuardPlusClinic.com. Well, it has been a pleasure having you on. So normally we wrap things up by telling our listeners how they could learn more about you or follow you. I don't know if you have, you know, anything that you'd be able to share because you're a little different than some of my other guests that, you know, um, are, are associated with a specific company that can provide services to our listeners. But if there's anything that you would like to kick things uh, or wrap things up with, um, one last you know reminder of a, a resource or a way to keep up to date with the work you are doing, you know, go ahead and share that. And if not, no worries, <laughs> we'll do our best to you know keep everybody in the loop too. But definitely want to give you the opportunity to share if there is a way for our listeners to kind of keep up to date with you know the work you're doing. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't uh, I don't have any groupies, and I don't I'm not a veterinarian, but I do play one on TV. <laughs> so, but yeah, if somebody wants to reach out, I mean, I'm my main goal is to help wherever I can, and I'm not a professional in any of it, but I certainly have I know some people who probably are, and I could probably help or just share some ideas. I'm always my, my ears always open, but if you want to reach me, I, I've got a VHMA email that you can reach out to me on Gerard is G E R A R D at VHMA.org. I'll get back to you. And uh, like I said, if there's just some resources. We'll talk some through. I'm welcome to do that. So I appreciate this opportunity and the work that you do. It's great. We definitely appreciate you taking time to to share with us. And anytime I could talk with someone that's doing the kind of work, you know, that you're doing, it's such a joy. So 
Well, that is it for our show, everyone. Um, Thank you for listening in and make sure that you stay in tune for what's in store because like I mentioned last episode, we have a lot of very exciting guests coming up and some things in store for holidays. And so you definitely won't want to miss out on that. But until next time, this is Dr. Jessica with Living Well and we'll see you soon. Bye. Vet Candy. Vet Candy. Vet Candy. It's Vet Candy Radio.